happy Tuesday morning ladies and gentlemen welcome to a special Tuesday morning edition of the Monday morning main event I'm your host Kyle McGee it's great to be back this week and we had an amazing night of fights the other night UFC 262 went down in Houston Texas in front of a packed crowd of 16,000 people at the Toyota Center we had a changing of the guard at lightweight and we finally have a new king of the lightweight division our first champion since the retirement of Khabib Nurmagomedov we're going to talk about all that but I want to start off talking about the preliminary card like I said it was an amazing action-packed night of fights so let's get into it we started off the card in a big way we had Christos Yagos versus Sean Soriano Sean Soriano was featured on UFC Embedded teammate of Michael Chandler uh, making his return to the UFC from Sanford MMA he uh, he comes out in the first round against Christos Yagos who you know has had a uh, a mixed career in the UFC. He's got a submission loss on his record to Charles Oliveira. He's on a two fight. He was on a one. He had, sorry, he had won a fight. Uh, his last fight on the Thompson and Neal card heading into this. Before that, he had lost a decision to Jakar Close. So again, pretty up and down career. This is his second stint in the UFC. But comes out on this uh, card and and Sean Soriano you know he uh, he looked really good in the first round his hands were looking really good he was catching Yagos with some really good shots um, was hitting him really hard it was it was a really really good first round for Sean Soriano you know Christos Yagos had his moments as well but all in all that first round Soriano you know after all this time away from the UFC looked better than ever it looked like it was it was definitely overdue that he was back in the UFC and I mean the power he was putting into these shots even if he wasn't he wasn't winding them up but the power he was generating for these shots you know Yago's head was snapping back on a few of them he was connecting pretty hard come out in the second round and uh, Yago's actually catches him and ends up getting him in a bravo choke and uh, chokes him out cold 59 seconds into the second round. It was a crazy fight to start off the main card. Really got the crowd going, you know. You got a guy getting choked unconscious to start off your fight card. It's going to get the crowd roaring a little bit. Uh, great win for Christos Yagos. He actually won uh, a performance of the night bonus for that, so congrats to him. Thanks to Tony Ferguson uh, pining for it. The Fighters were receiving $75,000 bonuses as opposed to the $50,000 bonuses they usually get. So, hey, uh, I call that a double win for Christos Yagos. You know, not only does he kick off the main card, or sorry, kick off the card with a huge submission victory, but he also gets a performance of the night bonus, and it's a bigger performance of the night bonus. So, good for Christos Yagos. Uh, Sean Soriano, hopefully we see him get uh, another fight in the UFC. Like I said, his stand-up looked really good. I would like to see him get another shot and uh, maybe see what he can do with it. Our second fight of the night was Tucker Lutz versus Kevin Aguilar. Um, this wasn't, you know, the most exciting fight, but it was a good fight to watch. You know, Tucker Lutz, um, had a, they both had their moments in this fight. It was a pretty close fight. Uh, Tucker Lutz ends up pulling it out. One of the judges scored at 30-27. The other two scored at 29-28. Um, you know, I'll admit that I didn't pay the most attention to this fight, but I definitely had Tucker Lutz winning from uh, what I was watching. Uh, he was doing a good job with his striking. He was picking his shots very well. They both were, but uh, Tucker Lutz did a very good job mixing it up and including the grappling into his game. 
After that, we had uh, Gina Mazzani versus Priscilla Cachuera. And this was an interesting fight. So Gina Mazzani, uh, round one was all Gina Mazzani. Um, you know, she was she's beating her up, dominating her in the grappling. It was it was a really good first round for Gina, and it was looking like it was going to be a pretty lopsided fight with Gina just you know controlling her throughout the entire fight. Um, <clears throat> round two, Priscilla starts busting her up bad towards the end of the round, um, <clears throat> and and Gina Mazzani is just leaking blood with about a minute left in the round. And she is, like, Priscilla, Priscilla is putting it on her. She's beating her up really bad. And, you know, it just gets to the point where Gina is just struggling to even stay standing. She's just getting beat up. She's bloodied. She's getting hurt by every shot that's hitting her. Uh, it almost looked like she was out on her feet. And finally, with nine seconds left in the round, the ref had seen enough and... and Gave her some mercy and called the fight. I think it was a very good call. I think Gina Mazzani was out on her feet. I think any more punishment would have been completely unnecessary. And I do believe had she gone out there for a third round, she would have gotten hurt even more. So I, I'm really, really glad that the ref stopped that one when he did. Um, you know, great win for Priscilla Cachuera. You know, she, she overcame some adversity after that first round. And really, really put it on her. You know, she's coming off a, a KO win over Shanna Dobson. Um, Priscilla Cachuera was actually uh, brought in and had fought Valentina Shevchenko uh, on the Machida versus uh, Anders fight card. I want to say that may have been uh, Shevchenko's strawweight debut. I'd have to go back and look. Um, yes, it was. It was her. Uh, it was her return. Or sorry, flyweight debut. So that was that was Shevchenko's return to flyweight was uh, Priscilla Cachuera. After that, she fought Molly McCann, Molly McCann and then Luana Carolino. But, you know, so didn't start off her year two career in the best way, but has rebounded with two back-to-back -back wins. And, and like I said, this TKO win over Gina Mazzani was huge for her. Happy for her. Can't wait to see her again. You know, for, for Gina Mazzani, it was, uh, she's now seven and five in her career. Um, She's had, she won her last fight against Rachel Ostovich, uh, had lost her previous fight before that. This is her second stint in the UFC. Um, you know, her overall UFC record, let's see, is uh, her overall UFC record across her two stints is two and five. Uh, losses to Priscilla Cachuera, Julia Vila, Macy Chasson. Lena Landsberg and Sarah McMahon. So it's it's not like she's losing to the to nobodies, um, but you know, still not something you want to see uh, a seven and five fighter in the UFC. They might give her another chance. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, you know, she is one and two in her her most recent stint in the UFC, and had won her last fight. So it's possible they give her another shot. But they have been cutting people here recently, so don't be surprised if Gina Mazzani's gone. We'll keep an eye on that. But yeah, uh, it was a... It's, it's tough, because she had a really good first round, but it almost looked like she had no energy left in the tank after that first round. So, um, you know, maybe the cardio was an issue, and that, that could have cost her. But... Great job by Priscilla Cachuera in that one. Those were the early prelims. Then we had the 
Main preliminary card on ESPN Plus kicking off with Andrea Lee versus Antonina Shevchenko, the number 11 and number 12 ranked fighter in the flyweight division. Antonina Shevchenko, the sister of Valentina Shevchenko, the dominant champion at flyweight. Uh, so Andrea Lee coming into this fight on a uh, three-fight losing streak. Antonina Shevchenko had actually just won her last fight uh, against Ariane Lipsky, and she's had a pretty pretty mixed career in the UFC. You know, she she won by TKO on the Contender Series to get her contract, won a decision against Ji Yeon Kim, uh, then lost a split decision to Roxanne Modafferi, then won by uh, Remake a Choke in her next fight against Lucy Pulilova. Uh, then lost the decision to Caitlin Chuchagian, and then beat Ariane, Ariane Lipsky. And then with Andrea Lee, you know, like I mentioned, she had lost her last three. Um, before that, she was on a, a pretty decent win streak, was on a three-fight winning streak in the UFC, and was on a, a six-fight winning streak overall, or sorry, seven-fight winning streak overall. Uh, you know, her losses were to Joanne, Calderu Cal Joanne Calderwood, uh, Lauren Murphy, and Roxanne Modafferi. So, not like, again, not losing to nobody. She's losing some top names in that division. But, she was on a losing streak. So, she's in a tough spot. Antony Shevchenko is just trying to get the ball rolling for a winning streak. Uh, first round, you know, they come out and they're, they're having pretty back and forth uh, fight on the feet. Antonia Shevchenko is picking her shots really well. You know, Antonia Andrea is landing her shots pretty well. Antonia gets her in the Muay Thai clinch and is controlling her a bit. And then with about a minute left in the hat round, uh, Andrea Lee ends up getting her into the uh, clinch and pushes her up against the fence. Ends up taking her down to the ground uh, and controls her for the rest of the round. Definitely stole that round. Round two, they end up on the ground again. Um, Andrea Lee ends up mounting her and uh, locks in a triangle and then flips over to guard um, and ends up holding this position uh, for quite a while. Uh, they spent pretty much the entire round with Andrea Lee holding her in a triangle choke. Um, you know, Antonino was doing a good job of keeping the pressure off, but Andrea Lee also um, you know, almost seemed content to just hold it and not really try and adjust it and tighten it up. I don't know if there's a reason why. Like, I don't know if maybe she felt that she didn't have a good angle and that she might lose the submission. But spent a lot of the round, you know, punching her and elbowing her from the triangle. And, I mean, that pretty much sums up what happened in that round. You know, she's just holding her in this triangle. And she's not really tightening up. None of that's happening. But, you know, eventually, near the end of the round, uh... She finally just grabs the arm and bucks her hips up and turns it into a triangle armbar and Shevchenko taps with eight seconds left in the round. Um, you know, she didn't have much of a choice. Her arm was definitely about to snap had she not tapped. But, you know, great win for Andrea Lee. Um, I think a round three, had she not gotten that submission at the last second, would have been very interesting. You know, um, she definitely would have been up two rounds to nothing. But, you know, holding a triangle that long, your legs are going to be absolutely gone. Um, I mean, unless you have some of the most in-shape legs ever, your legs are going to absolutely be gone. Because whether you're squeezing down on the triangle or not, you are using a lot of leg strength and leg endurance to hold a triangle for that long. So it would have been interesting to see what would have happened when round three started on the feet again. You know, would her legs have been completely gone? Would uh, Antonina have been able to capitalize and get the 
get the finish because she definitely would have needed that to win. It's 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 all a what if though because Andrea Lee pulled it off. It was a great triangle armbar, great win for her, and a necessary win for her. You know, a loss to Antonina would have been her fourth in a row and definitely would have received her walking papers from the UFC. For Antonino, you know, another tough night out. Um, just hasn't been able to get any momentum going. She'll get a win and then loses her next fight. I, I don't know that we'll see her get cut by the UFC, but it is definitely a rough spot to be in, knowing you can't get momentum going in the top organization in the world. Next up was a middleweight fight between Jordan Wright and Jamie Pickett. And this one, there's not a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, they come out very fast. Jamie Pickett ends up going for a takedown, pushes him up against the fence, and Jordan Wright just starts hitting him with some hard elbows. Like we saw uh, Travis Brown used to make his specialty back in the day. He did it to Gonzaga and Josh Barnett. Uh, Wright started hitting him with those. Very clearly hurt Jamie. He backed away, and Jordan Wright just put it on and punches, knees, drops him, and ends up just pounding him. They ground and pounding him on the ground, and finally the ref set is enough, calls the fight, one a minute and four seconds into the first round. Just an absolute beatdown for how quick that fight was. Great win for Jordan Wright. Uh, you know, it, the Beverly Hills Ninja, I absolutely love that nickname. Uh, you know, he's coming off a knockout loss to Joaquin Buckley in November, but, you know, he definitely has had some good uh, good moments in his career now. He uh, had beat Isaac Villanueva by uh, Dr. Stoppage before his loss to Joaquin Buckley. And uh, he was on the uh, Contender Series. He had originally lost that fight, but it was overturned after Hernandez tested positive for marijuana. So, But that was back in 2018. He took about a year and a half off, returned to fighting, and then ended up getting his next shot in the UFC. So great win for him. You know, he's 12-1 and with one no contest in his career now. Interested to see where he goes next. Um, but yeah, fantastic win for him. It was, like I said, for how short that fight was, it was an absolute beatdown. Next, we had Mike Grundy versus Lando Venata. Lando Venata, you know, is a pretty staple name in the UFC now. Made his debut against Tony Ferguson all those years ago and actually gave him quite a bit of trouble. He's had a back and forth career since then. Uh, Mike Grundy, one and one in his UFC career heading into this. He, um, <clears throat> you know, is a uh, freestyle wrestler from England. Uh, you know, decent fighter. He had a record of 12-2 uh, and two coming into this fight. Lando Venata, like I said, a pretty back-and-forth UFC. Groovy Lando Venata, 12 and, uh, or sorry, 11-5-2 and five and two heading into this fight. <clears throat> coming off a loss to Bobby Green last year in a spectacular fight. Uh, this was Lando Venata's featherweight debut. Uh, it started off pretty interesting. So in the first round, Mike Grundy uh, shot for nine, nine takedowns and only landed two in the first round. And uh, in the first round of those two takedowns, Venata got up right away. Um, the one thing, and Cormier pointed this out on commentary, and it was, a, it was actually a very good point by him, and it was very evident, is that um, Grundy would either... He would either be striking or he would be grappling. He wasn't mixing the two up. He was either shooting for takedowns or he was striking. And he was almost solely throwing the right hand. And don't get me wrong, especially in the second round, he landed a few clean right hands that snapped Venata's head back. But 
watching that fight, Venata is throwing with volume in the second round. Like, he is just nonstop throwing. And he's not putting everything into one punch. Grundy was putting everything into those right hands, trying to put him to sleep. Just like with those takedowns. He was doing everything he could to get those takedowns. So, not being very efficient with his output and also not mixing it up very well. He's doing one or the other. Venata is doing everything. He's flowing really well, throwing with a lot of volume. And, and that overall was what won him the fight. It was a, it was a split decision. Uh, one of the judges scored at 29-28 Venata, one scored at 30-27 Venata, and then the other one scored at 30-27 Grundy. I'm not 100% sure what that judge was watching. Now, granted, it was a pretty close fight, but the volume of Venata to me was enough for him to win that fight. I, I was shocked to hear a 30-27 scorecard brought out for Grundy. I thought he had very clearly lost two of the rounds at least. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, a win is a win. Lando Venata got his win. Uh, Great win for him, and great to see him down at featherweight. I hope we'll see some more success from him soon. He had a phenomenal gas tank in this one for how many takedowns he was having to fend off. And, and you know, Grundy, for how many takedowns he shot for, didn't seem like he gassed out. I do believe he was very inefficient with his output, um, but I do not believe he looked like he was gassed. It felt like he was in there till the very end. I think he could have been a little bit more successful had he tried to mix things up a little bit more and not just done one or the other. I think that was a big detriment to his success. Is if he was going for takedowns, Venata knew he was going for takedowns. If he was striking, Venata knew he was striking. He he wasn't mixing it up. It wasn't okay. I'm gonna throw a one-two hook, change levels, go for a takedown. It was I'm I'm shooting for takedowns now. And like I said, when he was throwing, it was almost exclusively the right hand. He was just waiting for it and he was loading it up. Made it easy for Venata to start to figure him out. So. Interesting win for Venata, and we'll see where he moves forward in the featherweight division. Next up was uh, the interesting moment of the night, Andre Muniz versus Jacare Souza. So, uh, heading into this fight, Andre Muniz said that he was a better grappler than Jacare, and a lot of people were shocked to hear someone say that. You know, Jacare is a is a world-renowned jiu-jitsu world champion. This, this is one thing this man is known for, is you don't want to go to the ground with Jacare. It was a surprise to people when Kevin Holland knocked him out off of his back. You know, Jacare comes out pretty quickly and aggressively, gets a takedown. Um, <clears throat> they end up in some moments, and then uh, standing, Andre Muniz actually takes him down. And then, you know, Jacare works his way back up. He takes his back, and uh, after Muniz takes his back, he ends up being too high. And he starts transitioning to an arm bar, and you just hear this loud crack. And the referee immediately steps in and stops the fight. Um, Andre Muniz, when he was transitioning to the arm bar, actually snapped uh, Jacare's arm right above the elbow. And so, you know, technical submission. Uh, he broke Jacare's arm going for an arm bar. And the craziest thing is, he, you know, they're checking on Jacare, and Jacare comes over, you know, Munez comes over to check on Jacare, and Jacare just smiles and starts patting him on the back. For a man to have gotten his arm broken, and then to just smile and, and laugh it off is just crazy to me. And that's exactly what he did. He was just kind of laughing it off, like, eh, no big deal. Uh, you know, it is unfortunate. Uh, it's a great, great moment for Andre Muniz. Um, you know, obviously, 
got to be kind of bittersweet to know you won by breaking Jacare's arm, but you know he is undefeated in the UFC, and that brings his uh, his UFC record to three and zero after being two and zero on the Contender Series. And uh, you know went over Jacare. You know obviously um, a little bit different now than it was back in the day, but still to have Jacare's name on your record is huge. Uh, Jacare though now is on a four fight losing streak and he is 41 years old. Uh, his last win was against Chris Weidman in 2018 and he is uh, one in five in his last six fights. Um, you know his, his last two wins are Chris Weidman and Derek Brunson. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's got a split decision loss to Kelvin Gastelum, knockout loss to Chris Weidman, decision loss to Jack Hermanson, uh, split decision loss to Jan Blachowicz, a knockout loss to Kevin Holland, and now the armbar loss to Andre Nunes. At 41 years old, you know, I know it was a freak loss with the arm snapping, but at 41 years old, it's, it's hard to imagine he gets another shot in the UFC. Um, I don't know that he'll necessarily retire off of this, but it is hard to imagine that his UFC run will continue. It is possible to give him one more, but, you know, uh, Andre Muniz, young up-and-coming guy, beats Jacare. Jacare's lost four in a row at 41 years old. You know, we've seen a precedent with this recently with uh, Tyron Woodley, a former champion, you know, losing four in a row, and, and he wasn't losing to an Andre Muniz. You know, he was losing to top-ranked fighters. He's not getting another shot in the UFC, so... I would imagine that is very likely the last fight of Jacare's career. He had a phenomenal career, if so. Um, you know, Father Time just catches up with everybody. But great win for Andre Muniz, and uh, he'll definitely be getting a step up in competition. Whether he is the Jacare of you know 2010 to 2015 or not, a win over Jacare is still a win over Jacare. So congratulations to Andre Muniz on the biggest win of your career. Jacare says that this was it for your UFC career. Thank you for an amazing career. Um, ton of great fights and a ton of great moments in the UFC. So now we're heading to the main card, and we kicked off the main card in the biggest of ways. A featherweight fight between Edson Barboza and Shane Burgos. When this fight was announced, I said that's our fight of the night. And it was. It was the fight of the night, and it was absolutely incredible. And let me tell you, Edson Barboza put on a Muay Thai clinic in this fight. Comes out and is immediately throwing those trademark Edson Barboza leg kicks. And he is just throwing them so hard. And Burgos, you know, tough as hell. Credit to Shane Burgos for hanging in there. Uh, those first two rounds, he, he was getting hit with some heavy shots, but he was standing right there in front of Edson and was swinging them right back. Both of these two were landing their shots very well. But Edson Barboza, you know, spinning wheel kick. Knees, punches, like he, he, but leg kicks, body kicks. He was just mixing it all up. It was an absolute clinic being put on by Edson Barboza. But like I said, Shane Burgos was ha hanging right in there with him. He was trading back and he was landing some shots well. He had Barboza bruised up a little bit. Um, I saw it seemed like a lot of people were, were having it uh, one round to one heading into the third. I could see that. I personally did have it two rounds, nothing for Barboza, but could see the argument for one-to-one -one heading into the third. But man, the, the Muay Thai clinic by Barboza was just absolutely incredible throughout this fight. And then you get into the third round, and you know, they're continuing. They're just going to war. And then one of the oddest, wildest things I've ever seen happened. Uh, 
Barboza lands a 1-2. Just a really beautiful 1-2. And the, the 2 is a... Sorry about that. Alarm just went off. The 2 is a, a right hand over the top. Um, and... It, it seems like uh, Burgos kind of resets. And he starts bouncing up and down again. And then about three seconds later... His, his legs start to like, he starts to almost like stoop down and then he just starts stumbling backwards. Falls up against the cage, like his back slams into the cage and he ends up falling face first. Barboza charges in, goes to throw two punches and the referee stops the fight. Um, you know, it was it was odd. It was this one-two lands and he, he looks like, wow, what a great poker face because those were two hard strikes. And then his body just slowly shuts down. It was like, it was like the punch was a knockout punch, but he just he tried to hang in there as long as he could. Um, a, a ringside physician apparently described it as such. He said, you know, there is a such thing where his willpower can't actually cause that much. He might have had the willpower to keep going, but eventually his brain is going to give out. And uh, he he basically said that he thinks one thing that that happened is. You know, he, he continued his bouncing and his up and down movement, and I, he was so rocked that he thinks that that exacerbated it. Uh, he was already pretty much in the state of being knocked out. And, you know, when your brain bounces around the way that it does, he said it basically probably just made matters a lot worse. And his brain just slowly shut down. Uh, it was, you know, Dana White said he was freaked out by it and thought something very bad had happened. And I can definitely understand that thought. It was, it was wild to watch live. Barboza even told Joe Rogan he had no idea what happened when he saw that. Definitely one of the wilder knockouts I've ever seen in an incredible fight. Um, Shane Burgos, thankfully, is okay. But amazing fight between those two. So, uh, you know, thank you to both of those warriors for going out and putting on the, the amazing fight that they did. You know, those guys went to war. Both of them got a $75,000 fight of the night bonus. So congrats to them for that. Very well earned. Shane Burgos, I hope, you know, his recovery from this knockout goes well. Uh, he's a very exciting fighter to watch in the UFC. So, we will definitely see him back. But man, what an incredible win for Edson Barboza. And, you know, he, he said that he believes he's 3-0 in this division now. You know, there was the, the controversial decision against Dan Ige. Um, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I personally thought Barboza had probably won that fight, but it was close enough to have gone either way. You know, Barboza, number nine uh in the world right now at that division um only a few fight you know the fighters above him dan ige is booked against chan sung john you got arnold allen you got josh Emmett, calvin cater chan sung john yair rodriguez brian ortega max holloway and the champ himself so nowhere to go but up for edson although i would be interested in maybe seeing a fight with him and giga chikadze you know giga is calling out max holloway i think that might be a bit drastic of a step up for Chikadze, but I think the idea of him and Edson Barboza is just absolutely exciting. And, you know, Giga is an amazing kickboxer. And like I said, we saw Edson, we've seen Edson put on Muay Thai clinics throughout his entire career. This may have been one of his best ones, though. So he said he feels great at 145. He doesn't have to worry about it trying to eat so much to keep his weight on like he did at 155. So it'll be very interesting to see. You know, he, he could be a completely refreshed fighter in this division. And, you know, one thing... Uh, you know, he did have some mixed success at, at lightweight, but 
towards the end of his run at lightweight, he struggled a lot against uh, grappling heavy guys like Khabib and Kevin Lee. You know, he had the loss to Paul Felder, that very controversial loss. But, you know, when you look at the top of the division, it's not very grappler heavy. Um, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of strikers. You know, Danny Gay, heavy-handed striker. Uh, Arnold Allen's a pretty full-fledged mixed martial artist. Josh Emmett, power striker. Uh, Calvin Cater, a boxer. Chance Jung, a striker. Yair Rodriguez, a striker. Brian Ortega, uh, a good jiu-jitsu fighter, but showed some amazing strike in his last fight. Max Holloway, a striker. Alexander Volkanovsky, a striker. So. You know, Edson Barboza can match up very well with any of these guys with how great his striking is. So it'll be interesting to see how far he can get in this division. Next up, we had Caitlin Chukagian versus Viviani Arujo. Uh, very interesting fight. You know, um, the, the scorecard, one of the judges scored at 30-27, which I thought was a bit controversial. Uh, you know, I thought Vivian had very clearly won rounds one uh, with just the volume striking that she landed over Chikagian. Uh, Chikagian had trouble getting her flow going in this fight. You know, she has a very frustrating style to fight. She's definitely a point fighter, um, and I don't mean that as an insult like most people will, but she is definitely a point fighter, and she's a very frustrating fighter to fight. Viviani Arrigio did a really good job in the first round. In the second round, actually ended up beating Chikagian down to the ground and uh, controlled her for most of the round, uh, but Chukagian was actually able to get out towards the end of the round. Landed a huge knee on the way up and then an elbow and then landed some huge punches and was just tagging Viviana Rejo for about the last minute, minute and a half of the round. Uh, was beating her up pretty good when they stood up too. It was it was very interesting to, because, you know, round three, very clear. Uh, win for Caitlin Chukagian. I believe Vivian was just gassed at that point and Chukagian was just turning the pressure on. You know, I, I thought Vivian had won the first round. Round two uh, is where it gets interesting. I thought personally Chukagian had probably done enough at the end of the round to steal the round, but you know, I thought it could go either way. Uh, the judges ended up all seeing it for Caitlin Chukagian. One of them saw it 30-27. Um, Really didn't understand that, you know, but a, a good win for Chikagian in that one. Uh, tough loss for Viviani Arujo to swallow, but she will definitely be back. This was a very close and very good fight <clears throat> for Chikagian. Uh, you know, moving forward, she is the, the number two ranked woman in the world. She's on a two-fight winning streak. Um, before that, she had lost to Jessica Andrade and had lost to... Or sorry, and had uh, beat Antonina Shevchenko after losing to Valentina Shevchenko. It's it's tough to see her getting another shot um, at Valentina after this fight, especially considering um, she got TKO'd by Valentina, and this was still a relatively close fight against the number seven ranked uh, female in that division. So Chikagian still has got some work to do, I believe, but. Good win for her, and she's staying on track. Next up, we had a catchweight bout at 137 pounds between two flyweights, Rogerio Bontarin versus Matt Schnell. Uh, Rogerio Bontarin stepping up at the last minute to replace Alex Perez. <clears throat> and uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, Bontarin definitely wasn't uh, 
in the best shape. You know, he, he wasn't even able, able to make 135 pounds, let alone his normal weight class of 125 pounds due to stepping up at short notice. But Schnell um, just did not look good in this fight. Um, there was not a lot of effort put out by him. There was not a lot of energy. It almost didn't look like he wanted to be there. Rogerio Bontarine did a really good job on capitalizing that, had great moments on the feet, had great moments getting it to the ground. And, I mean, uh, not a whole lot to say about this fight, but Rogerio Bontarine walked away with the win. Matt Schnell, even after the fight, you know, you could tell he accepted it. He'd lost. Uh, kind of hang his head down low and kind of apologized to the camera, apologized to people at home. He knew he'd put on a bad performance. It was just a very off night. Just seemed like he did not want to be there, but you know, great win for Rogerio Bontarine. Steps up on short notice and gets a good win. Um, he was coming off of that um, wild fight with Kai Kara France back in March, where where I actually talked about in my first podcast, where he had controlled much of the first round, and then Kara France ended up catching him and knocking him out. So you know, great way to rebound uh, for Matt Schnell. You know. Hopefully he can rebound in his next fight, uh, but yeah, he just did not seem like he wanted to be in there. I don't know what was up. I don't know if he just had an off night. Who knows, but congrats to Rogerio Bontarin. Next up was the fight where I said we saw the changing of the guards. So, Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush. Tony Ferguson coming off of two losses in a row after a 12-fight winning streak. You know, saying that Tony Ferguson lost two fights in a row two fights in a row, like two years ago, would have just been insane to even consider. Um, you know, it, oh, nobody would have even thought that could happen. I mean, this is Tony Ferguson. He's he's probably the best light in the world. Uh, you know, it's either him or Khabib. But, you know, we got, he uh, gets TKO'd by, gets a standing TKO loss to Justin Gaethje, gets absolutely dominated and nearly gets his arm broken by Charles Oliveira, and now he's fighting Benil Dariush. Uh, this is his chance to stay in the elite, and for Benil, this is his chance to break into the elite, and Benil capitalized. Um, the only moment that Tony Ferguson had in this fight was in round two when he went for a dar choke, and it wasn't much of a moment because he was in no position to truthfully get this locked in. Um, he looked bewildered locking in that dar choke. He, like, when he could not get it, he looked bewildered throughout the entire fight. It was kind of sad to watch, um... You're just seeing uh, age catch up to Tony. We're seeing the new fighters of the, the new uh, generation of fighters catching up to Tony, and it's it definitely is always sad to see this. Benil ends up catching a heel hook in the second round, and it looks like Tony needs to tap. I mean, he grimaces in pain, um, resets. Benil locks it in even tighter. He grimaces even more and falls flat back on the mat, and still doesn't tap. And Benil said after the fight, he heard two very loud pops. Um, and when they came up in round three, Tony was having trouble standing on that leg. It was very obvious. He was having a lot of trouble standing, but the the grit and the toughness of Tony with his never-tap attitude is just insane. He does not tap. He will not tap. I don't believe that's in his dictionary. It, it's just absolutely insane. Um, but, you know, another another very lopsided loss for Tony Ferguson, a huge win for Benil Dariush, and he calls out... Elon Musk for the delivery of his Tesla after the fight. Pretty funny call out, but Benil Dariush, great win. Um, you know, whether Tony's the same or not, he's got Tony Ferguson's name on his record. That is huge. 
Benil Dariush is now the number three ranked fighter in the world as of this morning. He jumped up six spots to number three. He is now ahead of Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor. Tony Ferguson only drops down one spot to number six. That's interesting. I thought we would have seen him drop down even further. Um, but, you know, uh, all right then. Uh, there's not a whole lot else I have to say about that. I figured Tony would be a lot lower ranked than number six after that loss. Uh, but Dana White said after the fight that Benil will be getting a uh, top five guy next. I mean, looking at it though, number one ranked guy, Dustin Poirier, is fighting number five, Conor McGregor. I'd, I'd imagine maybe that means we're getting Benil Dariush and Justin Gaethje. Um, you know, that'd be a great way to get Justin Gaethje back in and if Benil, and that'd be a great title eliminator fight. Uh, I would imagine the winner of Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier is a number one contender's fight. And then I think that Gaethje versus Chan or, sorry Gaethje versus Darius should be another good one after that. Um, but yeah, if he's getting a top five guy next, that's that's kind of his only option unless you're gonna what give him the loser of Poirier McGregor. And you know, if the loser of that fight is McGregor, it's it's kind of tough to imagine you're gonna sell him on a fight with Benil Darius. Um, great win for Benil though, and way to break into the top five, top three of the division now. Uh, so. Huge rise for Benil Dariush. Huge winning streak for him. Awesome to see. All right, guys, our main event now. Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler for the UFC Lightweight Championship. And this was an incredible fight. You know, looking back, you know, a lot of people think that Michael Chandler shouldn't have gotten this title shot. He's only had one fight in the UFC. But I think that is largely discrediting everything that Michael Chandler has done before the UFC. This is a former multiple-time Bellator lightweight champion. This guy has, for a long time, been one of the best lightweights in the world. He came into the UFC and knocked out Dan Hooker in the first round, somebody who Dustin Poirier, who we largely regard as the number one contender and the uncrowned champ before this fight, went five rounds with in a very close back-and-forth fight. Um, so to, to discredit Michael Chandler is just, I don't understand the hate for Michael Chandler. And I have seen an incredible amount of it online over the past few months. Michael Chandler seems like one of the genuinely good dudes in all of the UFC. And uh, I've been a fan of him for a long time. It's, I, I, do, I don't understand the hate for him. Um, but you know what? He, uh, great fight between he and Charles Oliveira here. For Charles Oliveira, the story of Charles is just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, this is a guy who, from his UFC debut in 2010, was a big things were expected of him. You know, when he came into the UFC, he was he was pretty young. Uh, he was still a purple belt at the time, but was a jiu-jitsu phenom in the UFC. And he was... 20 years old when he got signed to the UFC. Um, 20 years old when he got signed to the UFC, and all these years later, you know, he's still in the UFC. And, you know, it's wild heading into this fight because from 2010 to 2017, he had a, a record of 10 and 8. Um, and, I mean, when you look at his losses, they're not bad losses. You know, he, he has losses to Jim Miller, to Cowboy. Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar, uh, Max Holloway, which was due to an injury, um, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, Paul Felder. Th these aren't low-level guys by any means, 
But, you know, he's just never able to get a whole lot of momentum going. 10-8, and eight, the longest uh, winning streak he went on in his career was four wins in a row, and that was a win streak over Andy Ogle, Hatsu Hiyoki, Jeremy Stevens, and Nick Lentz, which is still a pretty good win streak at the time. That was back in 2014 to 2015. That was the longest win streak he was ever able to put together. And then after the Paul Felder fight, submission win over Clay Guida, submission win over Christos Yagos, avenges the loss to Jim Miller with a first-round submission win. Submission win over David Tamer. TKO win over Nick Lentz. Knockout of Jared Gordon. Submission win over Kevin Lee. And then the dominating decision over Tony Ferguson. These two, if if my if Dustin Poirier was not fighting for the belt, these were the two to do it. I, I loved the idea of Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. But hey, Dustin Poirier is getting that money fight and nobody can blame him for that. So this fight starts off immediately. Charles Oliveira does what he's done in almost all of his fights recently. He immediately walks forward to the center of the octagon and pushes to where Michael Chandler is going to have his back against the fence. Throws a calf kick and immediately drops Michael Chandler. Uh, you know, starts landing some good shots. Michael Chandler starts doing what he likes to do and he dips down low and throws a right cross to the body and then ends up throwing a left hook to the head. Catches Charles pretty good. Charles immediately dips down, goes for the takedown. Chandler locks him in a guillotine. Uh, Oliveira gets out. They scramble, and Oliveira gets his back. And Michael Chandler, you could tell immediately, was like, okay, you got to stay calm here. He tried his best. Um, <clears throat> started working his way up. Oliveira locks in a body triangle, and Chandler jumps up and slams him back and, you know, ends up getting in an even worse spot with that body triangle. He's fighting the hands, Chandler, and Oliveira starts doing a really good dip into the throwing body shots to head shots, body head, body head. Really kind of trying to uh, upset the rhythm and the flow of the hand fighting that Michael Chandler was doing. Michael Chandler ends up scrambling out, gets back up to his feet, ends up on top, throws some leg kicks, tries to throw some power strikes to Oliveira, ends up thinking better of it and steps away. And when they stand up, Chandler is throwing bombs at him and ends up catching him with a left hook and throws a right hand and ends up dropping Oliveira. Starts ground and pounding him just like he did with uh, Dan Hooker. Looks like he's going to get for the finish for a second. And Oliveira ends up rolling around to his back. Chandler dives into his guard, uh, th spins the rest of the round in his guard, you know, timing his shots, throwing some punches, throwing some elbows, laying him really good. But I remember watching this and thinking to myself, he needs to stand up and get out of this guard. He's going to regret this. He needs to stand up. He's allowing him to recover. Um, and it seems like that's exactly what happened. The round ends. They go back to their corners. And uh, they come out. And Chandler, you know, comes out energized, throws some, throws some power strikes. And Oliveira just throws a beautifully timed left hook, one, like a picture-perfect left hook, and drops Chandler. Charges in, swarms in, starts beating him up on the fence. Chandler, you know, kind of backpedals and starts stumbling across the fence to get away. Oliveira hits him with another hook and drops him. Uh, ground and pounds him up against the corner, and the referee calls the fight. 19 seconds into the second round, and new Charles Oliveira, our new UFC lightweight champion. What an incredible journey from start of his UFC career to now. 28 career fights in the UFC alone. 11 years. I want to say it was something around... It was either... It was... How many days did they say? It was well over 3,000. I want to say it was closing in on 4,000 days he's been in the UFC. 
before winning the title, and that is a UFC record. And just what a moment for Charles Oliveira. You know, Michael Chandler, nothing but class, giving all the props in the world to Charles Oliveira. <clears throat> but Charles Oliveira, what a moment. You know, who, who would have predicted this four years ago, three years ago, two years ago? I don't think anybody ever would have predicted that Charles Oliveira would be at this point. Now you've got to the point where he said, you know, I've been calling out Conor McGregor for years. He called him out after the Kevin Lee fight. He said, I've been calling out Conor McGregor for years, but now he has to come to me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just absolutely incredible to think that he's reached this point. So happy for Charles Oliveira. Um, I truly believe that Michael Chandler may very well have cost himself this fight by not standing up in the first round when he had Charles hurt. I think had he stood up, we could have seen a different outcome. I think he could have hurt Charles even more and potentially ended the fight. But, you know, I'd be very interested. I would not be surprised if we see these two fight again. Uh, before looking at the rankings this morning and seeing that Benil was all the way at number three, I would have imagined we would probably see Chandler versus Gaethje next, but I'm thinking we might be seeing Dariush versus Gaethje next. Um, if not, maybe we'll see Dariush versus Chandler. It's, it's hard to say. Um, but we will definitely be seeing one of those fights. Dana White has already said it's a top five guy for him next. And it's hard to not give Dariush a top five guy next. I could also see them maybe, given the knockout loss that he just had, as close of a fight as that was. And this was one of the most true back and forth fights I've ever seen between Chandler and Oliveira. I would imagine we could even see maybe a, a Rafael Dos Anjos uh, type situation for Michael Chandler. Maybe somebody slightly outside of the top top five. Um, but we'll see. Maybe even Islam Makachev, who does have a fight booked up, though. Uh, but, you know, it is possible we could see that as well uh, if he wins his next fight. But, you know, for Michael Chandler, uh, learn from this one and come back stronger. Charles Oliveira, incredible UFC career, finally culminates in becoming the UFC lightweight champion and a nine-fight winning streak. And like I said earlier, I believe the winner of Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor is next for him, and either one of those sounds like fantastic fights. I believe he is a very rough matchup for Conor McGregor. I mean, looking at how easily he took down Michael Chandler, and Michael Chandler is a wrestler. Uh, Conor McGregor's never been a wrestler. He's shown decent takedown defense at times throughout his career, but he's never been a wrestler. So it'd be very interesting to see how that kind of fight goes. I think he and Dustin Poirier would be a lot more interesting um, to watch, but I think either of those fights sounds amazing to me, and I believe that is definitely what we'll be seeing next. So, amazing night at UFC 262, and congratulations to Charles Oliveira on the huge win. This Saturday, we have a huge night ahead of us. We have the UFC fight night, and it is... Font versus Garbrandt, two of the top bantamweights in the world fighting each other. Former UFC bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt takes on Rob Font, who's on a big winning streak himself. I'd imagine we're going to see someone go to sleep in this fight based off the way these two have been fighting recently. Uh, Jan Jonan versus Carla Esparza in what I believe is very likely a number one contender's fight. The winner will very likely be fighting Rose Nama Yunus next. Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazian, which was supposed to be on UFC at 262, will be taking place. Huge fight at middleweight. That's going to be really fun. Ben Rothwell fighting on the prelims. Um, 
You've got Yancey Medeiros fighting on the prelims. He's always an exciting fighter to watch. Longtime UFC vet Court McGee fighting. So this is going to be a very fun fight card. I look forward to talking about that with you guys next week. I hope you have a great next rest of your week, and I will see you next Monday.